And we're live. Guys, thank you all so much for showing up to the very first episode of a great conversation here on Nerds and Suits. A massive thank you to Christian Harlop for being the honest, candid guest that I knew he would be for the first episode of the show. If you guys are excited about this or the other episodes of the show coming up, we've got Dan Merle, Andrew Guy, Roxy Stryer, incredible guests coming up. Please hit that subscribe button. Leave a comment, hit the thumbs up and the notification bell. The quad, the quad things you guys can do there would mean everything to this channel as we're launching today. We just, we want to get all the momentum behind this as we possibly can. We're also on audio. You guys can find us on Spotify, on iTunes, the Anchor app, um, Nerds and Suits. It's out there. If you're listening to this on audio, go to youtube.com slash nerds and suits and hit subscribe. Guys, thank you so much. Let's get into the show. We've got the chairman, Christian Harloff himself somebody i'm proud at this point to call my friend on the show how you doing man i'm good man how are you <laughs> i'm really well this is a dream of mine to have uh, to be doing this i've always wanted to do kind of the one-on-one interview show and and i wanted to do this in person uh, this i planned on doing this in person but here we are <laughs> nobody can do anything in person right now uh, so. point, it just becomes like second nature right it's like this is this is the way it is it's pretty weird. It's pretty weird. I was, uh, and I think one of the, one of the weirdest things is that there seems to be like almost like a narrowing, uh, in our business, right? Because one of the great advantages that you and I have had of kind of at least getting to the elevated status within the media world that we've gotten is you get to go to these red carpets, you get to bring these people into the podcast studios and have a little bit more of a personal interaction. But now we're in the exact same situation as every one of our fans that streams as every single person on the internet that just had a YouTube channel. We just have to send a link and do it like this. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, you just gotta, you gotta adapt. It's, it's, there's been many different challenges, I'm sure through both our careers. And this is just one of the strangest ones, but yet, um, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you decided to, uh, to do this with me, man. It's funny when I first met you probably four years ago or something like that. Now Ken Knapsack's birthday party, I think it might have been Knapsack's 40th birthday party, actually. Um, Maybe. yeah, yeah. You were telling me about Schmodown. You were you were kind of pitching it to me. Um, you know, you had this idea, you were doing it at AfterBuzz, it was gonna go to Collider, it was gonna really take off. Um, you were like way out, like way out there. Like you were doing stuff that I was 10 miles away from. I had no, I wasn't at Collider yet. I was really just doing this podcast with popcorn talk and really kind of dreamed of getting to that next level. And it was really your invitation of team action into the Schmodown that kind of did jump the action brand to that next level. So now it's pretty cool for me to get to as the very first guest of a great conversation this show on nerds and suits here to have you as my inaugural guest um, after all the work we've done together in the Shmodan. You know, I was thinking about this last night. That I actually wore a suit. didn't know I thought <laughs> was part of, the, uh, part of the thing I needed to do. No, no, it's just the, it's just the name of the, co- I wanted to launch something called nerds and suits forever. I just, okay. I finally, I finally was like, I got to just, I got to keep the name, but I was thinking about this last night. You recently in Shmodan were like, you suggested that I join the horseman. It was your idea. I remember you called me and you were like, you should do this. Oh, you were on board from day one. (laughs) I said, there's no, there's no chance. I said, absolutely not. No way. I'll never do it. Um, And now I was thinking about the first year versus the last couple of years in Schmodown and like how much that did actually uh, put my character over. That was, that was the thing in the end. But prior to that, it had all been fun. And then all of a sudden, since that moment, it feels like, and we said this today on backstage, but it's like, no matter what, you always seem to, to sort of know the direction this is supposed to go seems to be i mean sometimes <laughs> but uh it's i've i've had ideas and and things and it's it is that conversation i have to have with myself but you know strange strange things that happen when i'm i it's the same thing that i used to do when i did stand-up comedy i would 
when when I was doing stand up comedy by myself, uh, meaning that meaning when I wasn't uh, a, a family man, if you will, and I would whether it was smoke a ball or have a beer, and I would have my my um, I would have my set, and I would walk around my house, and I would just do it, and I would basically essentially be talking to the imaginary crowd or myself as it is, and hearing myself saying and just keep kind of walking around. I started doing the same thing with Schmodown. I remember that when Sam Levine joined the league, because people don't realize that Sam Levine was did it used to do a segment on the Schmo's No Show called uh, just simply called the game where he was like the best at it. You would hear a clip of a movie and then you'd guess it and whoever the first person to do it. And Sam was like Alex Damon level good at savant this. just amazing if we put this in the if we considered putting it as a part of the schmodown actually in but we just didn't have the stuff to do it if we would no one would have ever beaten sam at this game that's how good he was he was he was just that good at it so anyway when sam levine had told me he wanted to start putting his hand into uh, into the schmodown ring back in season three he was deterred people say he's gonna be champion he's if he's as good as he's again and i remember it was his first match and who was he playing against? He was, I want to tell you that it was Hal Rush. No, 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 no. It was his first loss was Clark. But his first victory, his first match was Hal Rudnick. And I remember he had beaten Hal. And I'm, and I, in my head, I was like, okay. So I think Dan Merle had already won the championship at that point. And I was, and I'm thinking, matching up the two of them in my head and going, and your winner and new movie champion, <laughs> the glorious one, Sam Levy. And I, and it's funny. That Sam got to the point where he was three and four. I go, I guess that vision's never going to come true. I'm never going to say those words. And then you look at Sam now, and he's like one of the one of the greats, one of the legends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I think those early stumbles, and and that's pretty common, right? You see it with a lot of the great players. They they had some challenges to overcome. Also, I think the game back then in season three wasn't as well refined as it ended up being. Some of those little kinks you guys really spent time working out. Even just the difference of one point versus two points is the first question in, in round three and the way yeah. that ten affects seconds, it. Ten seconds used to be the how much time you had to present yeah. Sam. Sam, it was Sam's match against, it was either, I think it was Riley. Yep. Riley, I think it was Riley where he was like, dude, is it 10 seconds or 15 seconds? What is it? I was like, oh, we never really figured it out yet. So <laughs> 15 seconds. Yeah, I remember that. And I remember like back, back then in round one, you'd get each competitor would get three different questions. And so that left yeah. a whole, you love yeah. those conversations about question disparity and difficulty. So I'm sure that was, a, that was wonderful for you. Um, um, then no, because it wasn't that big of a thing. I think it was at the end of season three where I can't, I want to tell you that it was my brother, Brian, that said to me, why do you do, why do you do separate ones? You guys should just have the same. And then I remember saying, Ellis, why don't we give them the same, but instead of doing six questions in the first, we do eight. And then we just give him whiteboards instead. And he's like, yeah, I like that a lot. So then we just switched it up. Yeah, it, de it definitely feels now like, like again, the the mathematical percentages and the likelihood that matches end up the way they do, it feels so much more accurate than it used yeah. to. Um, it does feel like it's very refined. But I want to go back just for a second to something you just said a minute ago. You're talking about kind of, you know, your stand-up days and, and what you mentioned before you became a family man. Yeah. Those were the days I didn't know you. And I'm 31. I turned 32 in June here, and I've been in LA now for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. I've seen some of your old stuff, you know, whether it's the show that you were working on or uh, some of your old stand-up bits. I've seen you do stand-up now. Um, yeah. I want to know kind of about that that life when when Christian Harloff is in LA and you're, you know, you're you're hustling to get by. When's the moment when you were like, this entertainment thing might actually pay my bills. This I'm doing this like this is a job. This isn't just my passion anymore. Seventh grade. I was, I, I was in um, 
I was in New York and my parents were my parents were separated and my mom was going to go to California and stay with her friend in San Diego. Um, and she took myself and my two brothers and we stayed there for three weeks. I'd never really been outside of New York, you know, and I don't mean like New Jersey, you know, or, or whatever it was. I'd, I'd been never really been that far out before. So it was like a, it was like a different planet to me when I went and I was never really super like popular in, in, um, in like grammar school. I was always the, I was always like the class clown and stuff, but I never, it's like awkward. And I, and I, I didn't have a lot of, um, I mean, I had my, my friends, but I wasn't, I wasn't a popular kid by any stretch of the imagination. But when I got to California and I got to San Diego, I was the New York kid and I was the New York kid. And people wanted to know about the New York kid. And I, and I, and I was, I was in California and I, and I met all these people and I was talking to girls and, and stuff, stuff like just That was just like, wait a minute, this is, this is different. You're the karate kid. You're literally just Ralph Macchio. That's what you were doing. But I wasn't getting beat up. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't getting beat up in, in, in uh, California. Like I was, I would go, not that I got beat up in New York, but I, when I, when I would go to, I would go to, I was in California and I was like, I actually felt like I belonged. And I said, and I, and I had, I just had so much fun. I felt free. I wasn't, cause I was angry when I was in New York because of my, my parents got separated and everything too. And I was, uh, I was just kind of an angry uh, kid, but I relied on, I relied on comedy and I would, be goofy and silly instead but i got to california that all went away and i said i don't know how but at some point in my life i'm going i'm going back here and i'm going to get back here so the second i got back to new york i was still in new york for it but it was always it, it then became like a chip inside of my head that i i have to get back because i was always uh, when i was younger i was in plays and and i did a whole bunch of things and i i told this story recently and i never talked about it on the air before i think i i think i brought it up on sdn i don't remember where but i was in a i was when i was really young i had i would could memorize and i was in a like a theater program and i did all these things and and then i was and like the, all the teachers would put me in the plays and stuff because i was I, I was good at it and i don't know what happened i got cast in this play and i got sick so i was learning my lines uh, i didn't learn my lines um because i was sick and I, and I think it was pretty sick because i couldn't i couldn't even study when i was at home i can't remember what it was it just kind of blocked blocked it out a bit but anyway and i always relied on the fact well i'll be fine like i do this stuff in my sleep i'm okay i'm in the sixth or seventh grade i can't remember what it was and i remember the play came and they just put me in and they just had confidence that i would do it and i was up on stage and i'll never forget this uh, um christina lopez was her name and she was up there with me and I forgot my lines I oh, went no. in front of the entire crowd, like parents, everyone both. didn't couldn't remember anything. And I remember that Christina, she started, she remembered, she was really good. She remembered my lines and she started like helping me and doing and pretending like as if it were, there were her lines, but everybody could tell, but she was just helping me. Um, and it just, it, it, I didn't realize how much it shot my confidence, but it, it, it leveled my confidence. Um, <laughs> In a, in a way that I that I didn't even realize it until you, you looking back years upon years upon years later I almost blocked it out of my my memory um, but either way I was I, I had instead of going up on stage and start I, I didn't audition for plays anymore I didn't I didn't try to get into programs anymore I didn't do any of that stuff anymore I just what became my 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 stage became the classroom so and because up until around fifth or sixth grade I was a decent student. Seventh and eighth grade, I had I, I had no interest in in 
being good in school. It was just about making people laugh in the class. It was about trying to rifle the loudest fart I could off the side of a wooden chair and sure. nothing's changed. Uh, and, and it was, it was making up statements and nicknames and things of that nature. And, and I was, and I, I've told the story where I had gone, I'd, I'd gone home so many times from school in the eighth grade that they said, you're not, you can't, you can't go home anymore. In, if you're, if you're sick or whatever, then we're not buying it. So I faked a faint. Did I ever tell you that one? I, 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 no. I, I coordinated this whole thing with my friend Victor. And I said, look, here's what I'm going to do in the middle of this thing. I'm just, I'm not going to tell you when I'm just going to fall off the chair and I'm going to barrel down. And I want you to scream, Holy shit. He fainted. We're in a Catholic school, mind you. So I was like, scream, Holy shit. He fainted because they won't, they, they'll, be, they'll believe it. They'll believe if you scream, Holy shit though, because there's no chance you would scream shit here. Cause you could get suspended. So, yeah. So scream it. If you scream holy shit, he fainted, they'll buy it. So where I don't know what this my he has he's since passed, Mr. Pirigo. He was in the middle of teaching, and I just picked my moment, fell off the side, committed. Victor goes, Holy shit, he fainted. And me Mr. Pirigo was my arch rival. He was like, he was, he was like my he what I would say Mr. Belding, but Mr. Belding and, and Zach got along. Mr. Pirigo and I were like mortal enemies. Um, and like he, he was this bald guy, he'd walk by and his head would hit the flag. And I had the entire class go off, which meant head on flag. And it was so stupid. Right. And then, uh, so he would take out this, he was take out this textbook. It was, the textbook was called moon Canyon. And the second, the second he would pick it up, I go moon Canyon and the whole class would do it. And he would, he, he, got, he got upset with me that I would do this stuff. So anyway, um, he comes running over to me and he's like, you better not be, you better not be faking your heart off. And I just sold it. I sold it. Like it was like, I was, you know, at WrestleMania in the middle of a match championship match sold it. And he's like, well, he's really, he's really not responding. He's like he's down. <laughs> down. And then he goes, and, and he, I stood up and he, and he, I remember this, he put his hand on my back and like, like he was with me. He's like, you're going to the principal. And, but not in a way that you're in trouble. Like, you know, we got to find out what's going on with you, kid. And I, I should have felt bad, but I was like, victory. You know, I got in, and the one person that didn't buy it at all was my mother. Second, <laughs> she knew you. She knew you too well. Second, she picks me up. She's like, you're full of shit. And, and so I get, I get back. And but to answer your question, like that was my, that was a long way to answer the question. But I, I was, um, I, I always knew that I like it was about entertainment. It was about trying to make people laugh. It was, uh, that, that's all it was. I didn't, I wasn't as interested in school as my dad or my mom wanted me to be. Um, and I just always wanted to be, you know, in, but I never, but like I said, even that, because of that experience, I didn't, I didn't pursue it in high school, like acting or any of that kind of stuff, but I did in class and I did outside of it. And I made my own home movies with like my, uh, with like my friends and I would make like, you know, we had like the, the, the tapes and we would make our own superhero movies and, and things of that nature. But, um, it was college where, where I, I had seen, I was in theater school in college in Florida state. When I was at Florida state, this guy, Mike, oh, I can't, God darn it. I can't remember his last name. Mike, uh, shoot. Anyway, uh, he, he had posted, he, he ran this troupe and he posted in the theater company and he, and it was a stand-up comedy group. And I said, well, I've always wanted to do that. I always wanted to do stand-up comedy. So I had called him and he goes, send me a tape. I go, I'm a tape. 
was like, you know, 20 year old, 19 year old kid in college. And he's like, send me a tape. I go, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So I never called him back. And so he called me back. He called me back. Like, I think like a month later and he goes, Hey, I'm still waiting for your tape. I go, dude, I don't, I don't have a tape. I don't have a tape. And he's like, well, he goes, one of you, why don't you, why don't you come by and like, just, you know, we'll, we'll, you can come by my place and you run some, run some uh, stuff and we'll see what you got. I was like, all right. So I went over there and I started kind of cracking some jokes and everything too. He said, well, well, why don't you perform now? My, like, and we went to like these bar, these bars and these places that in Tallahassee. Now I didn't realize this at the time, but when you start in New York or California or wherever you get like three minutes, you yep. got you, you, as a comedian, you start building up your three minutes and that's, that's standard. You start building it up and then you, you build and build and build. When I started doing stand up comedy, I was doing 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and in Tallahassee and to say that it was good would be the biggest lie in the <laughs> world. Um, but what I would do is that I had a very kind of big, like loud, uh, energy where it was, I was at 150 miles an hour on stage where when I first got on stage, I was, and, uh, and this is actually the advice that I had given Burke Kreischer that he, that he posts all the time. He talks about all the time, but my first show I did at this place called the Tally grill, I was hammered. And the solid, and the, solid choice hammered. And the if, if the size of the stage was bigger than that, I'd be surprised. So I definitely fell off that stage at least five times during the thing <laughs> because I'm, I was like moving around so fast. I would keep falling up, but I would play into it. And I started to rely on, on drinking too much when I was, when I was doing uh stand up. And I said, no, I'm going to try to do it without it because I, because it was the nerves and it was everything else too. And then that's when I started to realize, okay, this is, it's, it's working better here. And I started developing actual jokes. And so I developed a lot of stuff in, um, what, what's that? We got, we got a super, do we get a super chat? We're not live. I think that's on your end, man. I'm getting super chats now. <laughs> You're getting super chats in the middle of your story. It's Christian. It's that, it's that good, that's man. Good. And then we're not even on air. Yeah. All right, fine. Rock and roll nerds and suits for a super chat. Works for me. Good job. Uh, so what is <laughs> Jeez, come on, man. <laughs> What is that? I don't know. That's, that's not right. It's, just a schmo, it's, it's pump. What, what is that? It's like on my OBS. It's a schmodem is a winner. <laughs> Did you do that? This is like a bit. This is, you got Ellis. He's sitting across from you and he's, this is like his, this is just fucking with me. Yeah. Now. He's like, if, it okay. does, if it does it again, I might have to turn it off. And the problem is, and the problem is that it's, it's going to work. It's going to turn off the audience. <laughs> I think it's funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, people watch as the end, they'll get a good laugh out of it. Keep, weird. keep going. All right. So, um, anyway, so I'm, uh, you know, did stand up for a bit. And I, I did it for at least, let's see, it started in, it started in 96 and then 90, probably like 98. I would, I would did it for a good amount. Once I started like getting involved a little bit more, that's all right. That's stupid now. Hold on. What is that? You know, you specifically talk about like, so the 15 minutes and, and you hear a lot of comedians when they go back and they're talking about like starting out in LA. Like I was listening to Spade actually on his show, you know, the one Ellis has gone on now. Yeah. Times, and he's talking about how like, people are like i got a good hour and he's like there's no way you have a good hour when you're like 22 nobody's got a good hour he's like, i was working on a really good six minutes and he was, it was kind of funny I and mean, it was kind of good for six minutes yeah. you know and so like you're 15 i mean you were so drunk do you even remember anything that was in your initial 15 sure, no, I, wasn't, I wasn't i wasn't blackout drunk i was just i was i was just in a place where i was you know easing the nerves a little too too much but uh yeah i i definitely do because i remember building out 
some of it. And, and yeah. And I thought that when I did, I did 20 minutes, I remember in front of, and that was the thing. I didn't understand comedy. I didn't understand stand up the way that I thought that I did because I had watched so much. I was a big fan of stand up comedy throughout all my, uh, my life. My dad used to show me the HBO one night stand specials all the time, like, uh, Damon Wayne's and, uh, and Tice and everybody. I used to watch them all like the, the Rodney Dangerfield specials. I used to watch all of them. Um, Richard Jennings, like there, like there was so many Jim Carrey during his Showtime special that he did. I was a big fan of stand-up comedy. I used to watch it all the time. So I thought because I watched it, I, I knew exactly what it took, and I didn't know, I didn't know shit. So I remember I had a set at this place. It was called the Warehouse in Tallahassee, and it was a bunch of my friends that came out to see me, and there was like a hundred people out there, and I still have this set on tape somewhere, and it was a maniac set. Um, and I and I, I did well for what what it was at the at the night, um, and then I had taken that set and I taped it. I had it on tape and I watched it, but I didn't realize what you do with stand up is you find out now what I know is what I should have done back then was look at that set, what worked that night, the way that I said a particular thing that night. Why did it work the way that I said it? It was I mean George Carlin was was my my was that was my Yoda. George Carlin yeah, was the guy that I was my favorite and i and i would watch him all of the time i watched all of his specials i watched everything the first stand-up special i really remember watching was carlin at carnegie and you watched the way that george carlin would say things he with whether it was his rice crispy bit or his airline bit whatever it was he would play off the way that he said things and it's like a musician playing playing the music maybe sometimes it sounds a little different when it's coming in but for the most part it's the same rhythm and i didn't do that for that set i did that set and i said oh well that'll work i'm gonna try all new stuff and the second time it didn't feel as good i didn't feel as good afterwards it didn't it was like and i changed up the bits and put them in different positions and i was like no that's i did, I did it wrong and i still didn't really understand yet how stand-up worked but i had definitely bits that i had took written and worked on that i took with me to los angeles when i finally did stand up in la because from when i stopped doing stand-up in Tallahassee, I had stopped because there wasn't, it's not like a big scene there. It was, it was this group was there. And then there was, cause there was another group that I had done with. And then when they stopped doing it, then I stopped doing it. And I, for like the last year of when I was in at, at Florida state, I wasn't doing stand-up. I just was just, you know, working on other things. I promoted boxing matches. Yeah, you've told me about the the boxing match story before because that's that's a little bit of the early stages of the, the inspiration for how you were going to later on run the movie trivia showdown. Yeah. How old were you when you left Tallahassee to camp to come here to LA? Um, so my college career definitely went. I was older because what I did was when I I went from I graduated college high school when I was seventeen, um, and then when I was eighteen, I um, started Iona College. Or seventeen was he said it was ninety three so it just turned yeah it just turned eighteen when when I started uh, I started seven I was seventeen when I started Iona College and then I turned eighteen while I was there uh, my freshman year and it was a business school and I mean I like business but it's just not something I wanted to go to school for so after my first year my dad had moved to Florida and so I had just broken up with my girlfriend at the time and my dad was like well you don't like being there anymore you don't want to be there he's like come uh come come out to uh come to florida and live with me and i said yeah i i, I love my i had a very great relationship with my dad and i said um yeah i would love to do that but like you know where am i going to go to school and he's like well if you want to you can go to like the saint petersburg junior college here 
you know, build up, I have residency, build up your, uh, build up your GPA and then transfer over to either, you know, one of the colleges out here, which, where you want to go. He's telling me about Florida state. And I was like, all right, let me, I'll check it out. So I did, I moved, went to St. Petersburg junior college for like a year. It was like maybe, maybe three semesters, maybe. And then I got back with my ex-girlfriend. This is a funny story because uh, it's, it's a longer story, but basically I was, I was, go I was going to go to the university of Georgia because my girlfriend who I'd broken up with that we got back together moved uh, to Georgia to be closer to me. And then I was going to move there too. Some, something happened while I was in St. Petersburg junior college where this woman who was the, I, I was basically making up, I was in theater, this theater program. I was making up my own monologues. I was supposed to do this. Uh, I was supposed to like have studied these other monologues and recite them. And I was writing my own monologues and reciting them. And I was getting A's on them. A's and B's and all this stuff too. And my GPA should have been a 2.8 like or 2.75. But for some reason, this woman, she really did not like me. She was from Texas and she did not like my East Coast vibe at all. She she did not like me. She got me to a place where I think I was I was a point under where I she she really she was supposed to give me like a B plus and I wound up getting a C minus in her class. I can't remember what it was. Whatever it was, it dropped me right below and I couldn't get in. It was I was right below where I was supposed to get to go to Georgia. And I was like, I told someone, I said, you just, why, why'd you do this? She just ruined my life. And at the time I thought that, but it, it, it wasn't the case. And I remember going to the Dean going, she had no idea that I made up these things. Oh, she, he guy goes, you just admitted you made up all the things you <laughs> had in the first place. I go, yeah, but she didn't know that. And he's like, yeah, but you just told me that he's like, my hands are tied here, man. I'm like, understood. So I was there for one more season. We wound up breaking up and it was one more semester. We wound up breaking up anyway. Um, and I just transferred over to Florida state. Um, and so I was, I graduated Florida State, I think, when I was, I just turned 22, which was 99, because I stayed an extra season, extra season, an extra uh, year, because, again, I was dating, I was dating this girl, I wanted to hang out with my friends a little bit longer, I decided that I was just, and I wanted to enjoy my last year, so I took, like, a minimum amount of credits, hung out with my buddies, um, enjoyed my last year there with, with minimum, with hardly any classes, so I wanted to hang out with all my friends. And then I decided in summer of 99, I picked up with my dad and we, I had just got my wisdom teeth out. And then right after I got my wisdom teeth out, we drove uh, across the country to, to California because I went to the New York film Academy and I, yeah, sorry, my Kaiser. Okay. When you were, when you were at FSU, did you, did you hang out with like Roca and Kalinowski and Merle at all? Did you guys know each other back then? Merle came after us. Merle was Merle was younger than us. Merle was like, uh, I think he came like three, four years after we graduated. Um, I think he was like my brother's class. I think Merle was born in like eighty-one or eighty-two. I think around uh, that's like when my brothers were born. Um, so Roca, I it was funny because Mike was in my fraternity. Mike Allen yeah. was in my fraternity, but I probably had a better relationship with Roca than I did. Mike, because I didn't get along. I was in the theater school at Florida State, and I didn't. Not that I didn't get along with with people, but they they were very very clicky there. Very, yeah. they wanted nothing to do with me uh, at all. I would try. There was there were some people that were that were actually really uh, really cool, um, and Roca happened to be one of those people. And Roca and I just we like we just knew each other. We talked. We see each other in in theater school, and we and 
we we get into conversations and stuff and and we it was always like a it was, he was more of an acquaintance than anything else but we always we always really got along and my other friend is that i got along with really well there was roca's close friend mike vogel like mike vogel was one of those like he and he was mike vogel was real deep into the theater school he was like one of the big guys there and but he was never a dick to me a lot of those other people where they were they were dicks they were like it was mike a dick to you mike vogel no mike kalinowski no, Kalinowski is the same. Uh, he was the same weirdo then that he is now. Like, okay, he's, yeah, I get you. He's just aloof. He's just aloof. He's he's not. He was no. Mike was never a dick to me. Um, Mike was in Mike. Mike was in the theater school, but I ran into Mike more at the fraternity than I did. And I when I ran my the, the one like not falling out, but the <laughs> one thing that Mike and I had was Mike and his buddy um, uh, Nathan Bigelow. Who is is he's awesome? He's one of the coolest dudes I know, right? And that's Mike's best friend, and they were buddies in college, and also in the fraternity. And when I was running my boxing matches, I used to I would run the, these cards, and we run them at two in the morning, and the fighters couldn't drink, you know. And it was it was these big matches, and everybody would come out after the bars, and it was packed. Like women would get in free, and guys have to pay like a dollar or two, whatever it was, right? And it was packed. So Mike was scheduled to um, face Nate Bigelow in a, in a boxing match. Mike was gonna fight. He was gonna. We were gonna see like Sherlock Holmes, Kalinowski. He was gonna. Jump the shirt he, was gonna he was gonna. He was supposed to fight. And I had him set up, and it was like. It was, and I had a. I had cards. I used to run cards, so it was like a big title match. I think also on the same night. And Kalinowski day of says, "I'm not doing it." I go, "What do you mean you're not doing it? I'm promoting this thing all over campus that you're that you're gonna do. You're not gonna do it." What you tell me? He said, "No, nah, I'm not gonna do it. I got other things that I do." I'm like, "Dude, you're fucking me up here." He's like, "I'm not doing it, man. I'm not doing it." I'm like, "What the fuck?" I was pissed. Cause he just like, it was day of. So, and Bigelow's like, oh, I still want to fight. I'm like, all right, but I got nobody for you to fight. And then Bigelow was like this little tough Irish kid. Right. And he's like 165 yeah. pounds at the time. So this kid, James Godwin's like, I'll do it. James Godwin was like two Oh seven. And it's one of the funniest matches. Bigelow is a scrappy dude. And he's throwing these punches. It was doing nothing. It was like, it was like Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather trying to fight like the, like the undertaker. Right. And he's like, and he's just bouncing these punches off of Goblin. Goblin just puts his guard down and starts walking forward and battering <laughs> poor Bigelow. And and I and I remember seeing Callan ask him, like, you did that. That was you. <laughs> That's you your fault. It was like shades, did. shades yeah. of, of of having to argue with Mike on the phone about matches in your, yeah. in your later stages of your life. But yeah, that was it really with Mike. I mean, we we and we worked, I think I worked at the Olive Garden. I can't remember if Mike worked there. I feel like he did. Um, but like, I remember that, that we both were kind of vying for like this, the same girl at one point, but, okay, never, yeah. but never, never, ne we never had beef with each other. We, we, we always, we always got along. Um, but it was funny cause Mike, I didn't, when, when he was, I talked to John a lot more when I got out here and I remember I used to give Roka like playful shit. I'm like, I don't ever hear from Kalinowski. That, that bastard's been out here forever. I've never heard from the guy once. And then, uh, and then, you know, now Mike and I are pretty close. Yeah, right. Of course, the Shimoda, and he kind of reconnected yeah. with some of those some of those yeah. folks. Now, you bring your your stand up stuff to L.A. and you're I know doing the scene. I've heard stories about you. You were kind of like the hot shot, right? Ellis was on Action Guys pretty recently, and, and he was telling a story about that. He was saying how that when he kind of got in the scene, you were like you were like the hot shit comic. That you know everybody was everybody was talking about you, and he was like real excited to meet you. And uh, my so my question is, you were doing all that stuff, and somewhere along the way, uh, as you mentioned it, you became a family man you're this, this, this sort of happens. And, and I'm, I'm curious, what moment do you remember during your life where you were like, all right, so I'm going to keep doing this entertainment thing, but it's, it's all shifting. 
Like I, this is a, this is the next step. The next chapter of my life is now shifting. Is it when you, when your wife got pregnant? No, no, I, I had a, I had a very interesting relationship with stand up comedy. I always looked at it like it was like a, I don't want to say an abusive relationship, but it was a, it was like, it was like one of those relationships where when it's good and the sex is just so good and you can't, you, but man, the fights are so bad. And it's like, there's times it's like, there were times in my life with stand-up comedy where I would say, you know what, screw this. And I'm, I'm not doing it. And I remember that from, and it was also because that same girl that I had said before that during my college years, that the university of Georgia girl, um, that same girl, I got back together with her after being split apart from her for like four years or so, uh, maybe four and a half. We got back together again. And she moved out to California. Um, so when I was with her at one point, and because I was, I had already become a comedy star regular and improv regular and doing all this stuff. And when I was with her for some reason, I stopped doing stand up for a little bit. And then when she left and went back to New York, I had that was the I was out of the game for about eight months and it was the longest. And at that point, when it was gone, it, I felt like it what it maybe felt like to I don't know. I've never been addicted to any substances or anything, but I, to me, that was my substance. And I and I was craving it and I was missing it. And I said, OK, this is if I'm missing it this much and I, I, I can't be away from it. Um, and it was and I told myself if. I ever get to a place where I look and I go, well, no, I don't, I don't need it. I have something else. That's when I can stop. When I can stop, um, because when I tell you I was addicted to it, I when I got back after that from like 2004, when I got back into it, I was up on stage seven nights a week, twice, twice to maybe three times a night. Wow. Okay. So you were you weren't doing like working the open mics here and there, the one show during the week. You were like literally just your whole life was living for it. Yeah, no, I would go, I would, I'd saved up enough money and I was working, well, and I was even working, that's when I was working at Warner Brothers at Silver and I would, I would, um, I would go, I was single again, so I would work, I would work all day and I had the energy to do it. I would, then I would go to the, com I would go to room five, I'd go to the comedy store, I'd, I'd do a set in the belly room, I'd do it set at, in the OR and then I would, on Saturdays and Sundays, I would go to the improv to do that and then I would find other, and then at that, I got, at that point, from like 2004 to like 2008, I didn't have to call promoters and say like, hey, I want to do a set. It was like people would say, hey, are you available? Do you want to do sets? And I'll book you in. Just let me know if you're if you're around. And so that was the luxury of being able to do that at that point. You were established. Yeah, I always I always talk about you know, in my life. I remember I broke up with this girlfriend when I was like 22, uh, towards the end of 2012. No, I was like 24. And uh, for a couple of years there, there was like two and a half years where I was like single. I worked at a bar. <laughs> I didn't totally know what I was doing in LA. And, and I had like a cool roommate and I had all the time in the world. I could like, deal with the hangover real well. And it was around like two and a half years after that, that I, I started to get a little more serious about my hosting career. I ended up starting to work for the toy company. I'm at Roxy. And that was five years ago uh, that I kind of priorities started to change and I started to get like a little bit more serious about my work. But I always remember those two and a half years, not because they were the best two and a half years necessarily, but it was like the freest as an adult that I had ever felt. Right. Like I just, I always remember like that's one of those memories of like, it's a time I could never go back to. If literally I lost everything important in my life to me right now, I still couldn't go back to that, you know? No. Um, but I still always remember it because it feels like the significant moment of being an adult. Is that kind of what that four years when you think about it feels like to you? Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a lot of things that happened inside of that four years because it was, it was a mixture of both everything and stand up. And I still, to this day, most of the things I have in my life that are good come from stand up. 
like if you ask me right now, if you if you mentioned something that I've had in my life, I will tell you it probably some way or another connects back to stand up. No matter what it is, my relationship with Ellis, um, you know, like my jobs at any of the film industries that I've had, meeting my wife, like any, it, it all, it all connects back to stand up. It was it, it gives me, it, it gave me a lot, a lot of fruits. But the thing is, that I, I was just thinking about this um, today, actually, is that I just don't think that I, I, and I told this story a billion times over that my, so my, that my first adventure back into stand up comedy when I was here was my buddy Adam took me from my 23rd birthday. We went to the improv and I, and again, if not to tell the same story a billion times over, but basically what happened was I got on stage um, in front of a full crowd. This guy, Rick Overton, who was a master improv guy, had this troupe up there, challenged somebody to get up in the audience that people don't normally do it. I did it. Um, They were trying, they came after me like sharks and I was like swatting them off and just, I really, I had a, it was just one of those moments, you know, just like one of those moments, you know, like if you to, to relate it to you on, on like Schmodown, like, you know, when you're just on fire and like you can't miss, like yeah. I, I couldn't miss that night. And I, I tell this, this is to me still one of the biggest regrets of my life was the way, again, I'm 23 years old. I can't, I, I, I couldn't handle the, the way that it was because I was, I was 23 and I, I was excited about what had just happened, but I was in the, I was just gotten off and people were congratulating me being so funny and, this woman taps me on the shoulder and tells me how funny I was and tells me it was really, I was really great. And it was Sarah Silverman, you know, and, and I look over instead of saying what I would have, and you know, me today, what I would have said today was, thank you. Look, I'm, I, I really want to start getting up again too. Do you mind? Can I buy you a drink? Can we sit down? Can, can I pick your brain a little bit? I would love to like get any advice that you, that you thought instead I said you were great in something about Mary and I walk away and she looked at me like I had six dicks on my face and I, <laughs> And I was just like, uh, I, I always to this day, because I ran into her again, um, maybe maybe three months later. Yeah, and it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same vibe. I didn't have I, I was and we both had performed. She performed right before me. She didn't stick around to watch. She took off. And I was, you know, it's like one of those times like you you just you you, you miss your shot, you know, and I yeah. and not even not even that she's going to say to me, oh, yeah, I'll get you up here and here and here. She just might have given me a bit of advice that I would have taken that I didn't have for that that night. So. You know, it's just little things. Um, but, you know, throughout that time, I do think when I was thinking today, like I is doing stand up comedy now that what you need to put into it, like what Ellis puts into it and what like, you know, all my friends who are still doing it, put into it. I can't give stand up that anymore because it's too time consuming because emotionally you don't have the capacity to take away from your family. Uh, both. Both. It's like it's 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 time. It's it is time consuming and with that takes away you know the 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 time commitment to the family because i already even with screenings like when i go to screenings that was that was uh, grueling enough for the family you know and and going out like you got to stay like because stand-up comedy if you really want to be good at stand-up comedy it's not and some comedians do this i I just never thought this was the route stand-up comedy is not just going jumping up on stage doing the set going home it is for real established comedian like chris rock and, and jerry seinfeld and guys like that they want they want to pop in they want to do set they want to get out of here they can you want to play the game in stand-up comedy you got to play the clubs you got to be you got to be there you got to know who the people are like that was one of the things when i was there um i remember when i was showcasing and becoming a regular it was a very different process when i was doing it back then but i remember um all the all the 
comedians that were there and all the people that I was showcasing with, when Mitzi Shore wasn't there, they would leave. And I was like, screw that. I'm hanging out. And I would hang out and I would do. And you basically, if you were showcasing, you could do a set, but you, you were you were told that Mitzi wasn't going to be there that night. But you could still choose to go up if you want. And there are people that were on that showcase list that wouldn't go because she wasn't going to be there. And I'm like, you have the opportunity three nights a week to uh, perform at the greatest comedy club in the world. And you're not going up and you're not hanging out with the place that you want to be at. That, that makes no sense. I was the only person that got passed out of that entire class um, because and I remember Ari Shafir saying to me, he's like, you're the only one that, that that's hanging out. And like everybody notices that. No, and every, no one else is doing that. Yeah, well, it seems like with with anything, I think we, you know, earlier today when I was recording backstage, we were talking a little bit about how the younger Schmodown players, you know, the pros will come in and they, they'll they hang out the whole day right. for seven matches. Right. That's now maybe they'll you'll show up for like maybe three matches because usually the, the ones at the back end of the day of the tape day yeah. are going to be a little bit more significant. But it's important to, to be there all day if you want to kind of get in especially if you're new and you want to develop those relationships and get on the radar it's right. like it's like anything you know it's really like anything and so yeah it's, um, a, it's a, they're all fraternities no matter where wherever you go you know it's 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 click and it is exactly like the showdown like they're like when mark and drake go well mark and drake still goes comes to every single match but like, <laughs> but like when you know when, when snyder shows up and he and he he sits around for a match he plays and then he, he hangs up for a second then he leaves you don't say oh well, that guy doesn't really care. He's he's put in his time. Yeah. But like there are there are people who come into the Schmodown and they're just like they come in for their match. They don't really understand. They still don't know the game. They might have been in for three seasons and they don't stick around. And that's why they don't pop with the audience. And that's why they don't pop. And that's why they're not part of like the overall, I think, fraternity that you guys have have kind of formed. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk to you a little bit about uh when when you did make the jump from you know the collider gig and you went off to do it solo because I think it's a really interesting story for anybody who's ever worked for someone and then now in this world of streaming uh that we all live in, it's it's a kind of a very inspirational story. And before I get there, I just want to remind everybody who's listening or watching for the very first time. This is the first video ever posted on Nerds and Suits. If you guys want to hit that subscribe button below, it would mean the world to me, honestly. It uh it's a project of mine I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to have this channel and, and get to do these interviews. So the next one is with Dan Merle. It's coming up. It'll air this Sunday about his time. Probably a similar question as far as him leaving Screen Junkies. And um, yeah, guys, I appreciate you tuning in for this first one. So hit that like, hit the subscribe, and of course, uh, leave your comments below. So jumping over, I, I followed pretty closely everything you were doing with Collider as you were developing all those shows. I pitched shows with you. And then there was this moment with Collider Live where it was running for about a year, longer, a year and a half probably. And I could tell because you weren't, it didn't really seem like you were talking about Schmodown on air as much as you wanted to. You know, that was why I knew your passion was there and it started to kind of build. And I think people experienced this moment a little bit before the rest of the crew ended up leaving because it was only a few months before. Can you talk to me about kind of when you knew it was happening the, and just when it actually happened? Like when you left, like what, because you were there for a bit of time, knowing it was going to happen, right? I mean, as far as, as far as leaving? What? Well, yeah, because you, you you talked about on air, you had three weeks left or whatever, for a month left or something yeah. like that. You know? yeah. and so that final month, did you have an urge every single day to just be like, I want to talk about Schmodown. That's what I want to do. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, but it was, I mean, and I've said this before and I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. Mark Fernandez was great to me. Like, yeah, great. from like the, the second I was, uh, the second I was there, when he when he wanted to bring me over for and he said it to me many times he said the whole reason I, I i i took collider and the whole thing i did collider video was to work with you and for you to be able to 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 be the face and to do this and that and like and, and he and he said it to me many times um and i just got to a place where 
I wanted to focus on Schmodown and do more things with my stuff. And they, they, they didn't want to put um, as much effort into it anymore because to be fair, it was my IP, you know, and I, I, I got it. I understood. And he, he liked it. And I just, the, the, the guys over there, they didn't. And I, and I, and I know that they didn't, I know Thad couldn't, you know, he, he, that was great uh, working for the Schmodown. Incredible production guy. Yeah. Great production guy, but he didn't give a shit about the showdown. Uh, Jack Hines clearly didn't give a shit about the showdown. Um, and like all, all those other guys that that were there, and even even Christian Rubacaba, who I worked with for years upon years, and is a and is a dear friend, he didn't he didn't like working on it anymore. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I want to be in a place where, um, like I want I'm working on my stuff that I really love working on, and they have somebody working for them that really clearly loves what what they're working on and that that's fair for both parties um but feel, oh go ahead sorry go ahead no, go ahead what, what were you gonna say did you feel like because I, I remember um you and i were talking often about the schmodown like we you and yeah. i would talk most days um and i remember when that big publicity nightmare thing happened with star wars with you yeah it was all over the internet and everything like that and i remember thinking like watching the shows and feeling like it felt like the network would sort of almost have your back more than it did um, do you remember being like feeling sort of affected by that? Did that, did that get to you at all? Yeah, it's the same. I mean, look, the, the, there's, there's two sides of that is that one is that they, if, if Mark Fernandez wanted to, he could have just said, well, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want you to come in anymore, you know, yeah. but he didn't do that. And like that, that whole thing, like it was just, I, there was so much going on at that time, stuff that I didn't even really haven't even really talked about, um, when all that went down, but, um, it was, uh, you know, it was just one of those. It was just one of those things, an unfortunate thing that happened. And, um, uh, but yeah, do Fernandez? Fernandez did. He did. He, he, like I said, I just don't think that there were other people, other people there that I think that there was different visions of what Collider was, what it wanted to be, from and what people thought it should be. And that's from my point of view, their point of view, and another point of view. And and then I, I just knew when Collider because I knew Collider Live was pretty popular and I knew that every every interview that we were doing would and the, the pieces would blow up. I just never felt like that show more so than the Schmodown itself. I didn't think that show got enough love. I didn't think that that show got enough um, respect of what we were doing. And I didn't think that I think that there could have been more put behind it. But again, that wasn't my business. It wasn't my I was at that point. I wasn't into, I wasn't head of development anymore. I wasn't, I wasn't part of uh, the decision-making. So it wasn't my right to say you guys should push this show because it's, I was a hired, I was a host at that point. Well, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that. And I, I think you've been pretty clear here and everywhere else that Fernandez had your back and was great yeah. the whole time. And I think that's very clear also. I mean, obviously with, even with you, you know, launching SEN and him having the courtesy to give you all that runway to launch the network at Collider Live. I and mean, I think that was an amazing thing that he did. And I think we can all agree about that. Um, it is interesting what you say that the vision of that show being different than your vision and that when you would have a big piece blow up, it didn't feel like it mattered. Uh, like it didn't feel like it was important because I think that's talking about Dan Merle launching his channel and all of us now having our channels and looking at what you're doing with SEN. It's really taken for granted when you can have a successful a successful channel, a successful company that makes content. It's very, very, very hard to do. And, and it seems like uh, if you can be getting hundreds of thousands of views on things, even if they are dick and fart jokes sometimes, yeah, you're still getting hundreds of thousands of views. You know, yeah, I'd love to get hundreds I'll, of thousands. I'll, I'll def but I'll defend them there though too. It, it, if that's not the show, if that's not the show that you want to represent your brand, then 
you know, no matter who it is, whether it's the whether it's the top guy, whether it's the uh, whether it's development, whether it's uh, marketing, whether it, if if the rest of the team doesn't believe that that piece of the puzzle fits what the overall brand, because I wasn't in those meetings anymore. I don't know what the overall vision was. On the right. side. So it doesn't if, if there's a particular show that doesn't fit your overall vision for it. Then you shouldn't be passionate about it. You shouldn't it, just because I like the show and Roxy liked the show and everybody else liked the show and the fans liked the show. But if it wasn't right for them, then it wasn't right for them. And I'm never, I'm you're never going to hear me go, oh, you know those guys. I didn't know what was going on over there. They they clearly didn't like. I mean, again, Fernandez uh, was standing, but the other guys they didn't like the show. It's fine. It's completely fine. And that's why at that point I knew leading up, I was because I was I was I was miserable like the last like two months being on that show i was miserable. i remember i remember talking to you i mean like yeah. le legitimately it felt like i was talking to a, like a, like a zombie some of the days yeah it was miserable and it, and it, and again it had nothing to do with the people over there at all it had to do with me it had to do with i was chomping at the bit because i felt the shift coming in the space a, a, a long time ago and i can't remember who was talking about this recently but it is completely true and what it was it, what it used to, it might have been Merle that had said this, and I and he and I and I talked to and I was talking to Jeremy Johns about this on the phone. So when Mark and I started our YouTube channel, it was the it was the wild wild west, and there were five people doing movie reviews. It was me, it was it was me, it was myself and Mark. It, this was before even Jeremy Johns and Stuckman were around. It was us. It was Spill. It was Grace Randolph, and there was like a couple other people doing double it. double toasted and, guys, weren't they doing it? Yes, they were Spill. They were oh, Spill. Got it. Got it. Got it. So um, the and and that was really it. And then Jeremy hit the scene, and then Chris hit the scene. Those guys kind of really took over the that side of it. Um, and it but it was still the YouTube. It was still YouTubers that were making movie reviews. And then we uh, uh, schmoes kind of started the long form um, movie discussion kind of show. And then things shifted, and Campia started doing this thing with AMC, and that was like one of the big brands. And then Defy kind of came in and, and we're doing uh we're doing their thing with obviously with with screen junkies and um and then ign nerdist and everybody started doing it and the big brands started to get a hold of the movie space because it wasn't that it was just it was this what we're doing here and somewhere within the last like year or two years it started to switch back and it started to jump back and i felt it i felt it i said i i could do this by myself and I could talk about my passion in the Schmodown and I could get my friends and I can do all these things, but I also wanted to give respect to Fernandez. So I had thought, you know, we'll talk about it. We'll figure it out. And I had thought that maybe we're, we're going to discuss about, you know, whatever contract stuff and all that. And we'll sit down. The conversation just came a little earlier and, and he and I talked and he, and we both just, you know, like I said, his vision was different than mine. And, and we agreed that he said you know well let's let's figure out the the split and he said you know give you we figured out a date and again to his credit he gave me till i was november 1st and he did that so i could for my family i could have i would then have health insurance for that entire month and still not be working so it was a, it was a nice thing on 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 his part part to do um but it also gave me the opportunity to be able to promote what i was doing it was enormously helpful. I mean, as somebody who's very invested in the success of the Schmodown and SEN as a network, I mean, again, that's the part of that's the part of my relationship to you where we were talking the most often is in those final months because I was starting to work a position with you within the company around that time, and I was very excited that you had the runway to launch it because it felt yeah. essential to the health and success of it. But um, it was. well, because of, and the other thing that was that was the 
And and so people that have asked about that too, inside of that meeting, as I wanted to be clear about that, where he and I talked about the initial thing, I said, I have to let you know that, you know, this is the case um, that we're not going to continue on until, because I knew that maybe I thought it was going to go to the end of the year. That's what I thought. But he's like, yeah. But he's like, no, let's do do November. And I said, that's that's to totally. But I said, but I have to let you know that when I launched my thing, um, because I had already been kind of if you if you go back and you look, I had done a couple live streams. I had set up the studio already just be, just I had to protect myself just in case like that ever happened. And, and it did that I would be able to have somewhere to, to broadcast and do. So I told him and said that meeting, I said, I just, I have to let you know that I'm, I'm going to still do a morning show at the time because when I pitched Collider live, the initial thing was they wanted Collider live as a weekly sh nightly show, because that's what he liked about the Schmoes. No show it was a weekly nightly show. And I said, dude, I can't do a nightly show because of my family. I said, I just can't do it. Um, I said, I'll do a morning show. And I said, I'll even do three days uh, a morning show because I kind of taken off what, what Stern does, you know, and I was told by, by certain people that there's no chance that I could fill two days a week, much less three. And I said, I, I guarantee you we can do three if we start putting interviews in there and we do some other things too. And then after it became successful, Fernandez like, do you want to do five? So I was like, sure. So after it became like, you know, bigger and we were doing it, I had said, um, I said, look, uh, I am, I'm going to, I'm going to do a morning show. And I'm going to do it at the same time because that's the time spot that, that I fit for my work, for my schedule, for my family. And, you know, what I suggested to him was that maybe we we do Collider, maybe Collider Live when at like three and then I could throw it to um I could throw it to him later. And, you know, to his credit, he said, no, I want to keep it at the time. It's the time. It's the slot that we built and it's the audience that we built there. So I want to keep it on on 10. I said, I, I totally understand. Was there a level, and I, I got to let you go here in just a second, but was was there a level to you when you were having that conversation, you were thinking about the 10 a.m. slot? There was a little bit of like this this audience, this idea, this the identity of this thing is, I've built this, I deserve this 10 a.m. slot. Like this is this is essentially my show and I want to keep it at the time it is, or that was it was never about that? Well, it, I mean, it, it parts of it, fa that factors in there. It's like that it was, the morning show was the thing that I established that basically they didn't want to do in the first place, but I understood that the reason they wanted to keep it is because we secured an audience there. It wasn't me like, well, I'm, I'm doing, it was my show. And, and because of that, then you guys should definitely move. It was just a suggestion. I was like, I completely understand. And, yeah. um, and you guys, you guys should. And I still, even when SEN started, I still gave love and support to everybody that was doing the show over there when, when it was going on. Um, but yeah, no, I, it was, it was one of those things where basically, like I said, I told him the morning show was something I always wanted to do. It was something that I, like doing and i like morning radio i like that type of thing and it's what i wanted to do and so and he to be honest right away he wasn't like oh, are you sure do you have to do that could we talk about it? he's like no, i get it i totally get it like we we never had a bad relationship Pina. and still i talked to him uh last week we we're on the phone you know still yeah relationship fernand is a great guy i mean he's yeah. He's been very good to me as well. So uh, that's 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 good stuff to hear, man. I, I appreciate you being so honest about that. And that's an interesting story. I guess next time we'll have to talk a little bit more about Schmodown. But um, I got to let you go. So, guys, thank you all so much for watching the first episode here of A Great Conversation with Christian Harloff. Gracious enough to give us his time. Um, be sure to check back every single week for more content. I got the new uh, music from Movies show coming. You guys know I'm doing with cover songs, which I'm really excited about. And, of course, this next interview with Dan Merle. So, Christian, uh, if the folks want to find you, they, I think, probably know where to find you but just just for fun go ahead and let them know what uh what are, what are you doing well you can hear me doing this me dancing with the flouse flouse
want to dance with the flouse? You got to dance in the house with the house. Thirty more seconds before I let you go because this is too uh, funny. Yeah. When you played the clip the other day on SEN of me talking about flouse and I called Brett Brad, yeah, it was such an accident, but so funny to me that I hadn't realized I had done it until you played it. Were you you weren't you weren't setting me up to try to make me look like an ass there, were you? Because no, if you were, no, I, understand. I, I hadn't until I I didn't, I didn't hear that part of the clip when you said Brad. I was like, because we both, we, that was all, that was real time reaction when we heard Brad. It's like, he, like, he's like, he, he called you Brad. Yeah, he, he, he didn't, he didn't care. He's like, he, you, he said that you, you had, you had, uh, you had written to him and everything too. He's like, I, he, Brad, Brad, Brad didn't care. Yeah, that's pretty good. All, all right, care. man. Well, enjoy, uh, enjoy dinner or, or family, family life or whatever a man. Whatever it is, I do. Yeah. Right? And uh, I will see you very, very soon. Thanks for watching, guys. Peace. See y'all.